Welcome to Troubleshooting Innovation, a commercial baking podcast sponsored by AB Mori North America, a global leader in yeast and bakery ingredient technology. When it comes to baking, who's behind you matters. I'm your host, Joni Spencer, Editor-in-Chief of Commercial Baking, and I'm spending this season with Josh Allen, award-winning artisan baker and founder of Companion Baking in St. Louis. Together, we are discovering new ways to redefine commercial artisan bakery production. In this episode, Josh is going to outline a solid case for sustainability. Hi, Josh. Thanks for joining me again today. I'm excited to be back. Thanks for having me. So I am really excited about this particular episode because it is such a cool story. And I think it looks at sustainability in a very different way than bakers, I think, may be used to looking at it. So not long after we met, I got a press release that you were named the Tip Tree World Bread Awards Sustainability Hero. Now, some heroes are born and others are made. Would you say you set out to become a beacon for sustainability practices or did it look a little different? It definitely looked a little different for us. So I absolutely did not set out to be a beacon for sustainability. And I'm not even sure that I should be. I mean, I'm. I, we were thrilled about the award and my team was incredibly proud of it and I'm incredibly proud of it. I still don't think that we're beacons for sustainability, but I think where we've gotten to has been super interesting and has been very beneficial for our organization in in a lot of different ways. So I've talked to a lot of bakers who sort of hesitate to create sustainability programs because it's really hard to make a business case for it. Sometimes it requires a financial investment and they're looking at ROI through a very specific lens. But for you, the path was a little different. So I really want to learn how the business need came first. So can you start at the very beginning with how the business came before the sustainability and the benefit that you reaped from that? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the basis of the whole thing. So we were about 22 years old, I guess, had been baking in in South St. Louis for 20 years, had dabbled a little bit in some frozen manufacturing, but for the most part, we were a, a fresh daily local bakery. And as a business owner and as somebody who cares deeply about the professional and personal development opportunities for my team in this particular market, St. Louis, which isn't growing and doesn't do a great job of attracting, you know, business travel and convention business, you know, the opportunity for us to grow the business and keep expanding was to do some things regionally and potentially nationally. Um, and, and obviously freezing plays a role in our ability to distribute our products outside of St. Louis. So in 2014, we found a building um, and we spent about a year retrofitting it and moved into a new facility in, at the end of 2015 in order to expand the business and grow into frozen manufacturing. That was sort of the direction that we were headed. And what we absolutely failed to do was anticipate or appreciate the challenges of scaling up in the business. And, and as much as I probably wouldn't have admitted it then, you know, we completely dropped the ball on a million fronts. You know, we went from about 15,000 square feet to 42,000 square feet. 
we now were responsible for, we were, we were leasing space within a larger, which actually from my family in a larger operation, they had since sold that business, but we still had a great relationship with the folks that had bought it. And they were doing our shipping and receiving, you know, they were managing the dock, they were loading trucks, they were doing things for us that, that we didn't really appreciate how much of that was getting done or taken care of. And even the facility upkeep, they were responsible for the outside of the building because we were just leasing space within it. And so um, it all overwhelmed us candidly. And, you know, we pushed all of our chips into the center of the table as a, as a relatively small business in order to make the investment for the new business. And we just got completely overwhelmed. The bank was somewhat patient with us for a couple of years, but really the bank called me in 2017, I guess, and said, okay, we, we better talk about this now because we're not generating any cash and things aren't looking in a particularly good direction. And, you know, it's time to have a sit down. And we had never had to do that. You know, we had grown the business pretty consistently for 20 plus years. It had generated cash. We were able to pay for investments if we needed them in our old facility. And we hadn't really made that big leap that we made in 2015. And so sort of in preparation for for the meeting, I just tried to gather my kind of senses about me and figure out kind of where we were and what was going wrong or what I thought was going wrong. Um, but we were still just, you know, felt like we were constantly just plugging holes in a dam. And uh, as part of it, when we had made the transition, again, because they used to take care of everything, we, we used to just pay them I don't know, 600 bucks a month for trash. And we never really paid any attention to waste. You know, we threw stuff away in the dumpster. They called when it got filled by them and us in, in combination and it went away and it came back empty and we never worried about it. Mm -hmm. And now we were responsible for trash. And so we contracted with a waste management company. They installed a compactor, they picked it up and then they would send me a bill every month. Here's the compactor fee, here's the hauling fee and here's how many pounds of trash you dumped. And I never paid much attention to it for the first couple of years because, again, I didn't have any context in which to look at the numbers. And so I wasn't really paying attention. Well, I just thought, look, I, I love to chart things. I like to kind of look at things sometimes unconventionally. And so let me put a chart together of what our trash has been. Maybe I'll learn something sort of as I was gathering all this data. And I charted these numbers and I realized that we were generating like 1.6 million pounds of trash per year. Oh my God. And it just kind of floored me. And this is, a, I mean, we were making about 10 million pounds of bread probably then. And so it, it was a number that was just astronomical to me. Like, like it embarrassed me more than anything else. And kind of in thinking about it and looking at it, um, and I've always had a good relationship with the bank. We sort of sat down at this meeting and went through a couple of slides about how poor our gross margin was and how overwhelmed we were. And then I threw this trash number up and I said, look, I think this is the answer. Like I am incredibly embarrassed by this number. I think, I'm not sure, but I think it impacts everything to a much greater degree than I realize. And I don't think we have the bandwidth to do much more than like really go after one metric right now because we're still kind of overwhelmed. We were still growing, but training new people and it was all this new equipment and we just weren't doing very well. I'm like, give me a, a little bit of time to just attack this number. And I think I can solve the financial metrics if we can fix the trash. So it had zero to do with the idea of being sustainable. We never even used the word sustainability. I mean, the idea was let's fix the trash because this is embarrassing and it's got to be killing us. And so we sort of started this three-year journey where every decision that we made related to trash generation. I said, let's, let's throw everything out. Like we still got to make bread for our customers. We still got to do what we're doing. 
but let's make decisions about what equipment to invest in, what process to change and not change, and and everything, look at it from this standpoint of waste reduction. And needless to say, this three-year journey led to over a million pounds a year in, in trash reduction. Wow. And it sort of fixed all the metrics. Not that in the end that doesn't make sense, but in sort of going after it, we realized that it was fixing metrics that we didn't really anticipate. Yes, of course, your ingredient costs go down when you generate less trash. And yes, the labor costs go down. But we significantly increased our capacity because we were mixing so much more dough than we needed because of the trim generated by machines or by mistakes or by rushing or whatever it was. And so all of a sudden, if you only have to mix five mixes instead of six, you're increasing your capacity by 18 or 20% on a given, you know, all of a sudden, all these different metrics started changing and working themselves out. And it was completely, it was only about the business case. I mean, you mentioned that normally it's hard to make the business case, but that's the only reason that we did it. And it, it dramatically improved everything. I mean, multiple points of gross margin, um, multiple points of operating income. I mean, this was all, it really culminated and things were going really well, obviously heading into the pandemic, We've taken some steps back as it relates to profitability, certainly, but the trash journey has continued and we're doing better. We created a metric for ourselves that we refer to as trash efficiency, which is the number that between safety and trash efficiency, those are the two things that we're focused on here. And trash efficiency is sales divided by pounds of trash generated. And we've moved that number. We've more than doubled that number. So that number was $5.70 in sales per pound of trash when we started the journey and we just hit almost $13 in sales per pound of trash. And so that's had this huge positive impact on the business. And in the end, it's led to some other great conversations about sustainability and some good things and zero trash for landfill and new goals that we're now generating. But honestly, none of that stuff was on the table when we started. It was about the bank is breathing down our neck as they should be candidly. And we've got to fix this problem quickly and we can only do so much together. And so we just, we went after the trash and it had a huge positive impact and continues to have a huge positive impact on the organization. So Josh, I have a journalism degree, so I'm not as good with charts as you are. (laughs) And you talked about how much trash you were generating and that you reduced it by more than a million pounds. What is the percentage in that three-year journey, what's the percentage of the waste reduction? Well, from an overall trash perspective, it's you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 60%. What we've been able to do, we've diverted, I believe we're at like 76% diversion from landfill from where we were, which we're excited about because what grew out of it was obviously a much more a much more aggressive recycling program and also a composting program that candidly we were so overwhelmed when we moved in that we didn't get started with. So all of that 1.6 million pounds in that first couple of years was going straight to landfill. And what we've done in the process of reducing is also figuring out a lot of different ways in which to divert. So our goal now is to get to zero Zero trash for landfill by the end of, I think, 2024. I mean, we're hoping to do it sooner, but you know that would encompass composting almost everything that we can, 
recycling what we can. We'll still obviously have potentially a little bit of trash, but mm-hmm. really kind of looking at it from a much more sustainable standpoint. I mean, obviously the the best thing that we can do and the most important thing is to not produce the trash or the waste in the first place. So diversion is great, but the real savings comes from not even generating it in the first place. How do you get the companions on board to champion this? Because it can't just come from you. You crunch the numbers, you see the problem, and you identify a way that you can fix this. But how do you get everyone in the bakery excited about this, to think about it first, to not generate trash? I'm going, to, I'm going to use the term easy. I'm not, maybe it's not the right term, but it, it's a little bit easier when you're talking about trash because we have folks that come to work every day and want to do a great job. I believe that's the case with almost all bakers, all employees in every situation. I believe in my heart that people want to come and do good work. And there was nothing worse than coming and doing good work and then throwing it away. That for some reason it was out of spec, underweight, overweight, underbaked, overbaked, whatever would happen, and that product would end up going into the trash. That doesn't feel good, right? Like there's an inherent lack of pride that comes with that. Because what I love about the business is that we take something from nothing every day and we create right. we create a product that customers want. And what we've been doing or what we were doing in our new factory was creating a whole bunch of stuff that nobody wanted and that we had to throw away for any variety of reasons. So when we started talking about it in terms of let's stop doing that, like that doesn't feel good, <laughs> then all these different ideas started generating themselves and and I think everybody contributed. And what's also been exciting is, is that we were able to go to manufacturers and have the same conversation. So here's what's happening with your equipment. Here's the challenge that we're facing with your equipment. Help us figure out a way to solve this problem. And as we started to go through this journey, we we recognized that what we were doing was sacrificing waste for speed when we first moved in. Like we always thought speed was the most important thing. Like how fast can we process dough? We ran a lot of items three across. And so when you run things three across, you have to trim the outside pieces so that all three have equal weights as they're coming down. And so it created a lot of trim. And so what we were finding is we would be running upwards of maybe 8 to 12% trim on some doughs. Right. We weren't big enough and we had allergen issues or different issues and the way our manufacturing worked in our process, we couldn't just reincorporate that trim back into the dough. It wouldn't produce the same quality that we were looking for. We didn't necessarily mix those things enough that we could take them back to the mixer. We weren't able to necessarily recapture the trim back into the same product again because we weren't producing it regularly enough or whatever happened. So a lot of our waste was trim. And so when we went back to them and had that conversation, they said, look, the the larger line runs at a faster speed, but you would run two up instead of three up. And with two up, you have no trim. And so when we started looking at the piece of equipment from a waste reduction standpoint and not a speed standpoint, we realized that it would cash flow itself right out of the gate. Because the combination of trim, which actually has, you know, the the trim has an expense, but so does the mixing, because if it takes us between scaling and mixing and and going, it takes us 25 or 30 minutes a mix all in, you've got the labor cost with the mix. And because of, you know, 12% trim, if every six mixes, you have to do another mix to get the same yield as you would get, you know, you could get more yield in less mixes. And so when we started doing the math, recognizing our volume, our size, and, and kind of where we were, we recognized that the machine would pay for itself. 
And, you know, that particular investment, which we made at the end of 2019, was a huge component of this whole thing. So we started running products that were running, like I said, eight to 15% trim, depending on what the product was. And we went to zero. That had a huge impact on our trash. Also made better quality product. It did some other things that we knew it was going to do, but we couldn't pull the trigger on it or we didn't appreciate it until we started recognizing the real savings that would take place. And if we hadn't have gone through this kind of trash narrative internally, I don't think we ever would have looked at the math that way. So just increasing the speed, we weren't really big enough to afford it if it didn't include the savings. So that the way that we were looking at it before, it was hard to pull the trigger. When we started looking at it in the new sense and what the trash was costing us to do the hauling and just everything involved with receiving more goods into the building and the handling of ingredients and all of that, when a percentage of those things were going out into the trash, when you reduce all of that, the savings became dramatic. That particular line essentially paid for itself on day one. And it completely changed the way in which we looked at a lot of different things. That's been the biggest one from an equipment standpoint. But at the same time, we've been able to do that with other things, whether it's different ways in which we handle pre-ferments, it's recapturing some flour at the dusting stations. It's all kinds of different little decisions. You know, it's a series of incremental small decisions that have made most of the savings, but the big savings came from that change in that particular line. This episode is brought to you by A.B. Mori North America. Don't miss the first episode of A.B. Mori's podcast, The Oven Light, featuring a conversation with Brent Fenton, president of A.B. Mori North America. Fenton sits down with host Rick Olaszek to discuss sustainability, ingredient trends, and more. The Oven Light is available through Apple iTunes and Spotify. A.B. Mori, passionate about baking, Learn more at abmna.com. I think it's one of the biggest lessons that is often learned in commercial bakery production, and that is that speed isn't about going faster and that there are so many drawbacks to just going faster. And if you just take a moment and look at the efficiency and shift your thinking, you could find so many more benefits. And I feel like that's a little bit what happened with you in this journey of fixing the trash. You discovered a lot of efficiencies. Oh, no question about it. I mean, another thing that made a huge impact when you talk about speed is dough checks at various spots. So we never really had a official dough check coming out of the mixer, for instance. So a mixer would do it, they would sort of check their own doughs, and then they would push it through the fermentation process. And in doing this, we recognized that there were inherent problems downstream because of that lack of check. So we instituted a supervisor dough check at every mix. So is the temperature right? Is the development right? Everybody crossed out every ingredient. And it dramatically improved quality of the products and rework and all of these things by slowing down the process because it takes time, right? Like if you have a dough check and the supervisor's not standing next to you, it could be five or six minutes before that can take place. But slowing that down has had a hugely positive impact. The quality improved to the mixes because you knew somebody was going to come check it. But at the same time, we also got a second pair of eyes on a dough to make sure that it was right. Or if it was 
at the high end. So let's say a doe has a 74 to 78 degree tolerance level. Like we'll send the doe downstream if we're in that range, but 78 ferments differently than 74. And so at least by having the information, we can pass that on to folks in makeup and let them know, hey, this doe might run a little faster, or here's what you should be anticipating because here's what we saw at the mixer. And so it opened up this level of conversation that we didn't have before, especially in an industry where if you have a two or three hour primary fermentation, sometimes the mixer has gone home before the dough even makes it to makeup. So when you see something different, you don't even have anybody to ask, right? Because they're (laughs) gone for the day and there's somebody and they're like, I don't know, I wasn't here when that dough mixed. And so that communication level has had a huge impact, but it slowed the process down. But you're absolutely right. I mean, slowing down to speed up, makes all the sense in the world, but it just was so against kind of what we thought we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And again, the trash thing has really changed our approach to that in a very, very, very beneficial way. I would say the assumption about speeding up to go faster is pretty typical, but the way that you got to the conclusion through waste reduction strategies, I think is atypical. I think it's really interesting. So let's get back to all of this waste reduction journey. It led you to this Sustainability Hero Award, which you never set out to do. So what was your reaction when you were told you were going to be named a Sustainability Hero? Well, I, I look, I was thrilled and I was thrilled mainly for our team because they've worked so hard On this whole kind of trash journey, I mentioned to you that I was invited to do a TED talk recently in in St. Louis about the trash journey, which really kind of surprised me. But I think it's a great story to tell. And in the end, looking back on it and, and, you know, a million pounds of trash reduction is a really cool number. And so we're thrilled that, that, that that sort of has what's come out of it. And I think moving forward now, sustainability becomes a big part of, of the value that we set forth. And we certainly don't want to go back to this waste creating organization that we were a handful of years ago. And so how do we keep from doing that? Um, so it, it stays top of mind and it's still a big part of our decision-making process, which is pretty cool. But it certainly wasn't expected. And and candidly, as we mentioned at the top, it certainly wasn't the goal. And we never used the term sustainability anywhere in this whole thing. I really felt like folks could understand and appreciate, we just got to throw less stuff away. Like, let's stop creating all this trash. Like, if you were doing this at your house, what would you do differently? Because it's embarrassing, you know? And um, everybody has gotten on board because it just... It feels good. I mean, I I think creating sustainable businesses feels good for people. And so maybe that in and itself is is enough of the business plan that it needs to be, because in the end, if we can get investment from our whole team into finding ways to improve, you can't ask for any more than that. Yeah. I mean, I think it is just such a good case study in making sustainability an inherent part of the business plan. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know necessarily how to articulate it any more than saying, look, part of your focus ought to be from a business case standpoint, reducing trash, reducing waste, and making sure that you don't create any more than you have to in your process. And I'm frustrated to think because of the 20 year history that we had in the other facility where we weren't paying any attention to it because we didn't have to. 
that we could have done more then. And obviously I can't fix that, but certainly moving forward. And as I talk to other bakers, you got to make it a function of the whole thing because it really trash costs a lot of money. I mean, we went from spending eight or $9,000 a month in waste removal down to $2,000 a month. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's an awful lot of money just in and of itself, just in, in spending less in trash. But then the impact that it's had and the ripple effect that it's had through the whole organization has been really phenomenal. Well, I think a hidden lesson here, I think you hit the nail on the head. You weren't looking at it in the old facility. You didn't look at it simply because you didn't have to. I would say that's an invitation for other bakers to lift up those rocks they didn't think they needed to look underneath. And whatever way you can measure it, right? Like we happen to be lucky here, I guess, in the sense that that our folks were weighing it and sending us a report every month. So now we get a report from our composting company. This is how many pounds we picked up from you and from our waste management company. So we know every month how many pounds we're generating, but you can put a tick mark next to the dumpster every time you walk out with a, with a trash can. And you know, how many times are you going out to the dumpster or, or take a picture of it and then take a picture of it every Monday and see how full it is and come up with some kind of measurement, but you got to know where you are to figure out how to reduce it. There are definitely ways to measure, even if you're not getting those waste reports, and then you just figure out how to go after it. What could we do differently to generate less trash? And I think I will tell you, you know, as someone who's gone through the journey, that it will have a huge impact on way more than just how much stuff's in there and that it becomes hugely valuable and it's a great conversation to have. And it's easy to have with your folks because everybody really, everybody wants that to be successful. Yeah. Well, I think that that is a perfect note to end on. I just, I love this journey. I think it's such an interesting story and such an important lesson and a well-deserved award. I think you are a hero and you may not have intended to be, but I think you are a beacon for sustainability practices. Well, thank you for saying that. I don't know that I feel that way, but thank you very much for saying it. (laughs) So Josh, next week, um, we're going to sort of take the next step in this conversation and talk about some other unconventional metrics that you use in your production to identify and baseline efficiencies. So I'm really looking forward to next week's conversation as well. Well, terrific. I'm looking forward to it too. Thanks again for having me on. Thank you for listening to Troubleshooting Innovation. And a special thank you to our sponsor, A.B. Mori North America. With quality bakery ingredient solutions, backed by both leading technology and technical support, A.B. Mori North America supports industrial and artisan bakers and reminds you that who's behind you matters. Learn more at abmna.com.